Uh, good morning. Thank you again, worship ministry. A great day to be in the house of the Lord and to praise His name. My name is Danny Forshe. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Hills, and it's my honor to uh, also come alongside Brother Trey McElfish and to officially welcome you. We're delighted uh, that you're here. As we were singing praise to the Lord, I was thinking about the people that are in the sanctuary today. Some of you come and you're your faith tank is just absolutely full and it's overflowing and we rejoice with you. Some are coming in today and your faith meter, if you will, it, it's kind of medium. Others is low and some of you say, I just don't have faith. I want faith. I, I just come just as I am today because I need God. I need a fresh touch from God. Let me just say this. I am so, so glad that you're here. Somebody invited you. Maybe you're a member at Great Hills and this is what you do on Sundays. You come here and worship but I know there are many that, that come for the very, very first time. And maybe you've come to church today for the first time in a very long time. And we just want you to know we, we welcome you. My wife and I, Ashley, we will be in the Welcome Center in a few minutes. A few, give or take, few. Use that word lightly, few. And then we will greet you. We would love to meet you and greet you and give you one of the books we've written just to spend a little time with you. And so thank you for being our guest uh, today. It's so good to be uh, back uh, and to be able to preach God's Word here. We took a last couple of weeks. Last week I was at um, our, our church plant, Cornerstone Community Church, and had a wonderful time there worshiping the Lord with them. They're doing great. They're doing fabulous. Thank you, Great Hills, for planting them, and we're so very proud of Pastor Stu and Sarah and Miss Jana and that whole team of people there at Cornerstone. So if you are a guest or this is your first time with us, we are in, currently in a, in a series, a study, that we're looking at the New Testament Gospels. That would be Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John. I guess you could call this a biographical study of the life of Jesus because we're watching him studying, analyzing the way Jesus Christ interacted with, interfaced with individuals, with people. We're calling it for the one because we're focusing, of course, on Christ, but we're particularly looking at the one individual that he stopped everything he was doing and focused in, on, I mean, like a laser beam focus on that one individual. And we've looked at a number of people so far in 2018. We're going to continue in this study. And today we're going to look at a man that, as soon as I say his name, many of you are going to go, oh, yeah. I figured we would look at him eventually, the Apostle Peter. If there is one disciple of the 12 that many of us resonate with, that we say, I resemble that man, and it would be this one. It would be this Apostle Peter. And what a man of God uh, he was. So how do you preach a whole sermon on Peter in just a few minutes? I don't know. I'm just going to kind of be fluid and, and flexible today. If the Lord stretches this sermon out and I look like it's going to go real long, then I'll just stop. And we'll, what are y'all doing next week? Just come back next week and we'll, we'll look at the remainder of it. But I spent a lot of time in studying uh, his life over the last week especially. And I want to try to just pull the life of Peter together. And you think about Peter, he's one of the 12, right? Uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with the multitudes. He taught them, he healed them. He ministered to the multitudes. Jesus also spent a lot of time alone. He spent time with the Father in prayer, but the most of the majority of the time of Jesus was spent with 12 men, many of whom were fishermen. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, that's what they did for a living. That was their livelihood, was to be professional fishermen. But when you drill down a little bit further, you'll notice that when you read the Gospels carefully that Jesus spent even more time 
not with the multitudes or with the twelve. He spent most of his time with three men. And that would be Peter, James, and his brother, John. And there are reasons for this. Because when Jesus leaves, he will turn really the keys of the kingdom, if you will, over to these men, the twelve, but especially uh, to Peter and John. So Peter, you may not know that the gospel of Mark is a recollection of the preaching of Peter. John Mark, who was an early disciple, uh, he would travel with Peter and he would jot down the eyewitness accounts and the public preaching of the Apostle Peter as Peter retold the stories of Jesus because Peter had a firsthand account. He was an eyewitness to the activity, to the biography of Jesus Christ. So we know Peter, he's preaching, but we also know him because there are letters, there are epistles that bear his name, the first and, and, and second Peter. So you see this man sprinkled throughout the New Testament. In fact, the first 12 books or chapters in the book of Acts, you see him again, the Apostle Peter. So why is there so much written about this one man? And I, I believe it's because he's so much like us. He, he can do great things for God. He can be bold and he can just, I mean, just reach to the stars with his abilities and with his preaching and with his amazing faith. And then the next page, you see him denying Jesus. You see him cursing. I mean, he's using foul language. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who he, I don't even know who he is. He spent three and a half years with Jesus, and at the end of Jesus' life, he goes, I've never seen the guy to have no idea what you're talking about. He didn't do that once. He didn't even do that twice. How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. I can be bold for Jesus. I can stand on the mountaintop sometimes and just proclaim his name. And then I, like you, can deny that I even know him in the way I live. In the way I speak or the way I address people. I, 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 and I, so I relate to the Apostle Peter and, and maybe you can as well. So what we're going to do today is we're going to do a biographical study. And I know it's dangerous because there's so much material in the New Testament that relates to Peter, but we're going to look at three main passages of Scripture, and then, time permitting, we're going to look at four practical words of application that we can draw from Peter's life and that can apply to us and speak to us directly in 2018. Y'all know I love studying biography, and I love reading people's stories, and I'm, I'm still reading John Bowles' tedious tome. I mean, this is a huge volume on the life of Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson, as I read his life, and a good biographer will do this, he will give the good news, the ugly news, the bad news. You, you give the whole, I mean, just the whole scope of a person's life. And I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, we all have a birth date. We have a day that we will die. And all of our life is encompassed by a visual dash. You ever notice that? A dash. And there it is, just that one little dash speaks volumes. It speaks of our life. It's what we did in between the birth date and the death day. And I look at Thomas Jefferson and he did a lot. In fact, he said, I want three things to be put on my tombstone. And they did. And they put three things on his tombstone because these are the things that he's most known for. First of all is the author of the Declaration of Independence, a very gifted writer, gifted man. Uh, we hold these uh, true, self-evident truths, and you know, I mean, this is the, the Declaration of Independence. Then, he said, I want to be known as a champion for religious liberty. 
You said, Thomas Jefferson, at best, deist, maybe an atheist, maybe a Christian. We don't know. Yeah, that's him. He said, I believe that every man and woman and child ought to be able to worship the God of their choosing. And he was a staunch champion of religious freedom. Now, there's a lot of things we disagree with Thomas Jefferson, but if you're sitting in this church today, you ought to be thankful for his life and his legacy because of what he did. We don't have a one government religion like they did in England with Anglicanism. Okay, there's another thing that he, that he did. He said, I want to be known for. I'm just curious. Anybody want to take a gander, guess at this? It's a university. Anybody? Virginia. University of Virginia, which is a strong university there on the East Coast. And so that's his life. And he did a lot of other things. But you look at his life, and I think, what are people going to say about my life? What are people going to say about your life when, you, when, it, when it's over? On the dash... You know, how much uh, life have we put in those years? How many years do we put in that life? And so when we're looking at the Apostle Peter, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like you to keep this thought in mind, that as you live your life with the good, the bad, and the ugly, may we always be pursuing the Lord to be a little bit closer to Him. And say, God, I have not arrived. Peter never really arrived. And so that gives me, that gives me hope. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. First of all, I'm going to look at Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read these kind of quickly. And what I'm trying to do is give you really just an overview of his life, and then we'll drill down on some of these practical points of application. So let me read it to you. It's Luke chapter 5, and begins in verse 1 when it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the Word of God. Remember, he's a great preacher. He spent a lot of time teaching and preaching that he stood by the lake of Genesaret. Now that's another name for the Sea of Galilee in the upper quadrant there of Israel. You can go there today and there it is, that beautiful body of water. Not quite as big as maybe as you think it is, about 14 miles long, about eight miles wide. That's it. They call it a sea, but it's probably better known as a lake. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and they were washing their nets. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Now, Simon kind of a code name for Peter. And Jesus will change his name from Cephas to Simon Peter, Petros, which means a stone and really means a rock. And so there Simon is, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. How cool is that, church? I mean, Jesus is in a boat and there's so many people wanting to hear him speak. And the reason they want to hear him speak is because he, he, he gave words of life and hope. And he talked about how we can have a relationship with God and how we can be forgiven of our sins. And then Jesus went out into the multitudes and he would heal them and he would speak to them and he would love them. And so the word got out that there's this great prophet, rabbi, preacher among us. And the people just swarm to hear him so much so that he gets in a boat and he pushes out into the lake just a little bit because the people, they're probably not going to walk out on the water, right? So he gets a little space. And when he'd stopped speaking, he said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, now here, here's Peter. This is just a good example of Peter. If you're one of the guys and gals here today, you just like to speak your mind. You know, you just feel it welling up within you, and you really just can't put a lid on it sometimes. Uh, quit poking your spouse, please. I know we, we all, we all deal, deal with this at times. As Peter. He begins to instruct and correct Jesus, and he does this a lot in his life. 
He says, well, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. And then it's almost like he catches himself. Oh, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I forget who I'm talking to here. Now, I mean, this is you, Jesus. And, and nevertheless, at your word, I will, I will let down the net. I will do what you asked me to do. And when they had done that, they caught a great number of fish, so much so that their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat. Those partners would be James and John and Andrew to come and help them. And they came and they filled the, the, both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, here he is. I mean, he goes from the, from the pit up to the mountain. Eventually, he'll go from the mountain down to the pit. Then he'll go back up to the mountain. He goes, oh, Jesus. He just falls down at his feet. He says, please, like, forgive me. I am a sinful man, oh, Lord. For he and all who were with him, they were astonished. They were amazed. They marveled at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also those guys, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all. When, they, when the Bible says here, they, they forsook all, they, they left all. The all there refers to this whole fishing enterprise this whole vocational life of being a fisherman, professional fisherman. They leave it all and they follow after Jesus. So this is kind of the early life of Peter. Now we, we've looked at John chapter 1 where Andrew, his brother, goes to Peter and says, we have found the Christ, the Messiah. And Peter comes and he meets the Lord initially and then he goes back into his fishing, goes back to his occupation, his life, and the Lord calls him publicly along with his colleagues and they forsake all and they come and they follow Jesus. So you're starting to get a glimpse of just what this guy's like. I mean, Peter, in my mind, he is this, he's this large and in charge, raw bone fisherman. And he speaks his mind and he's not intimidated by anything or anybody. And he is really a diamond in the rough. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some patience. It's going to take some chiseling. It's going to take some rebuking. It's going to take Jesus going, oh, my work, my son, please. But through all of that, through all of this work and all of this discipleship, there's going to come a man who's going to stand up in Acts chapter 2 and he's going to preach the word of God and 3,000 people are going to come to Christ. And then in Acts chapter 3, this same man is going to stand up and proclaim Christ and 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. Who is this guy? It's this guy, Peter. But he can't do those great things unless Jesus Christ first takes him where he is and molds him and shapes him and is patient with him and God creates a masterpiece out of this, <laughs> out of this stick of wood, if you will. Oh, speaking of that, I think I, I, think I have a picture. Yeah, I want to show you all a picture. Here's a picture I... I uh, I wanted to show you. They're just some gifts some, that I bought myself in Israel. Thank you. I'm just sharing these with you. The cross. Actually, I think that's Hannah's. Hannah and Jeffrey, if y'all want that. If you lost it, that's where it is. It's in my house, okay? And then there's a couple of rocks there, Masada and Engedi. But I don't know how much you can see. That's a picture of Jesus in the boat created out of olive wood. We actually went to the, the place in, in Bethlehem where they made this. And there Jesus is sitting in the boat. And there's the disciples, and, and I know it's not a great picture, but if you can see it closely, they're reaching over, and it catches them just like this. And the net is absolutely full of fish. Okay, that's scene one. 
Now let's go to scene two. Let me read this, this passage of Scripture to you because it will, like Luke chapter 5, it will give you an insight, give you some wisdom into the life of Peter. So let's roll it. Let's go to the second one. All right, here we go. Good, good. Now when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jeffrey, you remember going there? Where's Jeffrey? Is he still in the house? All right, Jeffrey, my son-in-law. He, uh, he preached a message at Caesarea Philippi just a few weeks ago. And there Jesus is. This is the furthest north that Jesus is going to go in the land of Israel, okay? And so Jesus asked his disciples, and he said, Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Yeah, you're, you're just a great prophet like John the Baptist. And, and others think you're like Elijah, and some people say, man, this is, this is another Jeremiah among us, this great prophet. And Jesus said to them, okay, that's, that, I get that, that's cool. But let me ask you guys something. <laughs> what do you think? Who do you think I am? And guess who speaks up? Guess who the, his hand goes up? <laughs> me, me, me. And it's Peter. It's Simon Peter. And he answered and he said, let me, let me just tell y'all something, guys. It doesn't get any better than what he's about to say. This is the confession of all confessions. These state, this statement, if you're here today and you've never made this statement, this is a statement that you're really going to need to make in order to go to heaven. Now, that's not a work salvation. That is just a, a confession that God is God, you are not. Jesus is the way to heaven, and you have to believe. And Peter's there, and he's the one that speaks up and says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Woo! And I bet the other disciples were going, Man, that was good, Peter. Way to go, man. They're just giving each other high fives. And Jesus says, Hold on just a second. You're right. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter. You are Petros. You are the rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a high watermark. This is a great moment in the life of Jesus, in the life of the disciples there at Caesarea Philippi. We know this place because it's known primarily as a place of pagan idolatry and worship. In fact, what they would do at Caesarea Philippi, these couples, these husbands and wives would take their firstborn child and they would lift this child up and they would offer this child to the God of Molech. And they would take this, this child and throw it into the water there at Caesarea Philippi. And they would offer their child as a sacrifice for their sins to the, to the God, the Ammonite God or Canaanite God, Molech. And you have all these statues and gods and goddesses and those that you went with me on that trip. Just, just envision this again in your mind's eye. You remember those Remember those pictures? Remember those statues? Remember Caesarea Philippi? And Jesus says, in the midst of all of this, who am I? Am I one of these guys? Am I one of these gods and goddesses? And Peter says unequivocally, absolutely not. You are the one true God. And the disciples are like, yeah, Peter, that's awesome. And Jesus says, Peter, that is wonderful. In fact, you're really speaking beyond what you, what you really know. You, it's so true. 
And the Father has revealed this to you. Now, in the same setting, I'm not going to read it to you, but within the same setting, Peter, just a few minutes later, is going to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm going to have to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world, and I'm going to rise back, ascend back to the Father. And Peter goes, yeah, you know what you said earlier? That's not really good. And Jesus, you, don't, you really don't need to be talking like that because you're the Messiah and we're going to take over this place, right? And, and, and you shouldn't say stuff like that. He said, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. He had the audacity and the stupidity to say that. And Jesus looked at him and said, what? Get behind me. We called him Satan. <laughs> I bet Peter was like, oh, oh, I blew it. Oh, I, I messed up. And he did. But then that's why I like him so much. Because in my stupidity, in my ignorance, I can say things that are just not right. They're just not true. Or I said that out of anger. Or I thought that. And, and yet Jesus doesn't say, okay. And I'm going to use a modern terminology here. I'm, I'm going to take you like a football, Peter. And I'm just going to punch you into the water. Here we go, Peter. Kaboom! Get out of here. Let me start over with somebody else. And by the way, God doesn't, he didn't do that with Peter. He doesn't do that with you. He loves you. He's patient with you. He's chiseling away the rough spots. And he's creating this beautiful masterpiece will be a trophy of the grace of God. I want to show you another picture. I'm just full of pictures today. This is, um, this is Brother Jeffrey and, and myself. This is in Capernaum. And this is a huge statue of Peter uh, outside the, uh, the, the synagogue there. And uh, he's larger than life. I mean, they have statues. I'm going to show you another one of him later on that's my favorite. But this just shows you just some of the conspicuous nature of Peter today in Israel. And before I leave this scene, I do want to say something, though, about... This is one of the most misunderstood texts in all of Christendom. Many of my Catholic brothers, in fact, all of my Catholic brothers and sisters, they view this passage entirely different than I do. They say, no, Jesus told Peter himself, you, Peter... And he started the Pope and the papacy and, and the apostolic succession. It's all right here in you, Peter. And I, I don't see it like that. What I see it, it was what Jesus was saying is, is, Peter, it's what you said. That I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Not on you, Peter, but upon the fact of who I am. Do y'all get that? You get the focus where the focus is? It's not on Peter, but it's on the profession of faith that Peter made in, here, in who Jesus is. Okay, let me just do a timeout and just check the pulse of the church here. Are y'all okay? You okay? Are you awake? Everybody, everybody good? Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, honey. I was dozing off here just a minute. Well, thank you. If you woke up, let me, let me help you. We're in a biographical study. <laughs> we're looking at the Apostle Peter because we relate to him so much. And we're looking at key select passages. And I wish we could look at all of them. Really, I wish we could look at Matthew 14. Um, oh, verses 22 through 34, where Jesus and Peter, they're walking on the water. I'm not going to go there, but I will go toward the end of, of Peter's life. And I'll look at John 21, 15 through 17 with you. And this is after Peter denies Jesus three times. Okay? And so we're fast forwarding into Peter's life, and it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Ah, y'all remember this? Y'all remember this? How many times did Peter deny Jesus Christ? Help me. Three times. If you read it all within its context, there's a coal of fire. There's coals there. There's a fire. And Jesus is preparing breakfast for them. 
Only two times in the Bible where you read about this little coals of fire. This is one. And the other one was the coal of fire in Caiaphas' house. Where Peter was warming himself and saying, I don't, I don't know who he is. I have no idea who he is. And just like Jesus, he recreates the scene. He creates the fire. And all these memories are flooding back to Peter. He's going, oh my word. And Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Stop right there. Look at that. Do you agape me more than these? Stop right there for just a minute. Who are these? What are these? Some are asking, well, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Do you love me more than you love these men? Some people believe when Jesus asked him this question, because Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm done. He's dead, and I don't know what's going to happen with him. I, I'm just, I'm going back fishing. And then Jesus appears to him. He goes, well, Peter, let me ask you something. Do you... Do you love me more than these uh, fishing paraphernalia, vocational ministry life that you've gone back to as a professional fisherman? Do, do you love me more than this? Okay, let's roll it. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you... You oida, you know, and oida is the word in general, knowledge, speaking. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Number three. You say, why did Jesus say this three times? Because Jesus is correlating this to this denial three times. Now watch this, watch this. <laughs> no matter how bad it gets or how much you denied him, Jesus still loves you. And God still wants you to come back to him. So I'm going to ask you again, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you gnosko. You, you, you know, intimately know. It's not oida anymore. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, then go and feed my sheep. And guess what? He did. Now we have the gospel of Mark as the recollection of his preaching. We have his epistles. We have him Acts 1 through 12, we have this life that, you know, last time we see Peter, he's denying Jesus. The next time we see Peter, there he is being restored by Jesus. And here's the picture. It's one of my favorite ones there on the Sea of Galilee. I've taken this picture a couple times in my life, and that's Jesus standing, and that's Peter kneeling. He's broken, right? He's desperate. He's disappointed that he disappointed the king. He's, he's hurt and he's, 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 he's kneeling at Jesus' feet saying, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You know that I love you. I really did blow it. Give me another chance and I want to go and preach your gospel throughout the world. And Jesus basically says, get up. It's on. Let's do it. Aren't you glad that God is a God of second chances, third chances, five chances, Hundred chances. He's the God of grace and mercy. Okay, here's some lessons from the life of Peter. And we're going to get it in. I do believe there are four. Don't faint. It won't take long. We're going to look at them, all right? Number one, an unguarded strength can become a weakness. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. An unguarded strength can become a weakness. 
I've said this many times about my life and about other people's lives. You know, his or her greatest strength is also his or her greatest weakness. And for Peter, it was true. Because Peter, in strength and boldness and in courage, can make the most lofty statements, but also in his stubbornness and his just rawness and in his his ignorance, he takes that same passion and that same zeal and he can say things like, Jesus, you're mistaken. And so if we're not careful that the strength that God gives us, the boldness and the audacity that God gives us, if we're not careful, that can turn against us and we can find ourselves using that against the very people that we love. Are you with me? That tongue, quick wit. G. Campbell Morgan says he's the, he's the smartest man ever to live. Now that shook me up because I never thought Peter was that smart. I just didn't, reading about him. But G. Campbell Morgan says, you need to read a little bit closer. Peter, more than any of the other disciples, asked more questions than anybody. The smartest people in the room are those who ask questions. Those who talk all the time aren't as smart as they think they are. <laughs> Y'all with me? <laughs> I got an amen. How many ears did God give you? How many mouths? Lord, is that you? Can I, can I come? Yeah, come on. Well, what, where, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You, you have the words of eternal life. You read Peter. He asked these probing. I have a couple more in my notes. He's got these probing questions. And G. Campbell Morgan also says this Peter, he lacked as soon as I say this word, y'all gonna, I know what you're going to think, so let me just say it quickly and help you get over it. Our 21st century connotation of the word precious. Precious, you know? <laughs> you think that. I think that. But G. Campbell Morgan, 19th century, said Peter lacked preciousness. And by preciousness, he meant the ability to amalgamate, to meld, and to mend all of that personality all of that raw talent and brilliance and ability and quick-wittedness and sharp tongue. Peter, throughout his life, he lacked the ability to put it all together and use it for the glory of God until, until Jesus just restores him and there he goes preaching the gospel and he dies a martyr's death for the Lord. But he was still a trial. He was still a person in, in process. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. That's Matthew 16, remember? And that's when Jesus called him the devil, right? All right, number two. Let me go to the second point with you. Even the finest saints, you have to continue to grow in grace. If you ever feel like you've arrived, you've really only begun if one of the greatest characteristics of a brilliant man or woman is to ask questions, then perhaps the most stellar ingredient or characteristic of a true follower of Jesus is humility. You don't know everything. You don't pretend to know everything. If we're not careful, we can think, I've arrived and I am God's gift to Christendom and and really, we're not. We, we've, only, we've only begun, and I think I see this in, in Peter's life. And even the finest of saints 
have to grow in, in grace. Let, let, me, let me take you to one more scene in Peter's life. Man. It's a, it's a more unknown um, ex, uh, page out of Peter's life. It's in Galatians chapter 2. And Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He's restored Peter. It's post-Pentecost. In fact, it's probably 20 years after Pentecost. And Peter's hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. He's hanging out with a bunch of people like you and me, and he's eating. And James and some of the Jewish brethren, they come into the room, and Peter... He dismisses himself from the Gentiles and, and goes, I, I, hey guys, I'll see y'all later. And then he goes, hey guys, and goes over and talks to the Jewish people. He's ashamed of his Gentile buddies, and so he dishes them, and he goes and talks to his Jewish buddies. But there's a, there's a guy who's watching all of this, and he's, he's pretty ticked about it. And his name is the Apostle Paul. And so Paul says, Peter, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> And Peter's like, yeah, you're right, I know. I'm an idiot, I'm sorry. And, and I, I'm just astounded by that. Now, if Peter can show favoritism and if Peter can play the part of a hypocrite, I want to tell you something, guys, so can you and I. So just be careful. Let's don't think, man, we, we have arrived because we haven't. Number three, to err is human and to forgive is indeed divine. Man, we could preach a whole sermon on that, couldn't we? To err is human because we do err. But God specializes in forgiveness, and I'm so grateful for that. And the last one is this. Winning souls for Christ is really the dedicated Christian's passion in life. And I, I see this in Peter. He has been restored by Christ, and now he spends the rest of his life not fishing for fish, but he's fishing for men. He stands and he preaches publicly. He takes John Mark under his wing and says, record this. And you see, you, you see this man in his epistles, and, and I see him there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Watch this. What a great verse. But you're a chosen generation. This is the Apostle Peter writing. In 5.1 he says, I'm a pastor just like you guys. I'm not a pope. He, didn't say, he never said he was a pope. He just said, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. But you, church, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. And here's what I want you to remember, that you would proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the greatest thing that you and I can be about on this side of heaven is pointing as many people as we can to the, to the king. That we would proclaim the praises of Jesus who called me and you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let, 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 me, let me wrap it up by saying this. There has not been a week that has transpired that I have not received at least one text, email, private Facebook post, whatever. And it's from one of you telling me a story about your one. Now, I just, I just want you to know something. If you just really want to bless your pastor, if you really just want to just say, man, I, don't, I want to do something to really encourage my pastor, then you just please keep sending them. Because I'm telling you, I just get like an old peacock. I just get spreading out, you know, and in a good way proud. I just get so proud of you, and I talk about you. And whenever I go somewhere, I say, 
our church, they're, they're amazing. Look, oh, Greg Bennett, he just, he just wrote this note, not to mention any names. Sorry if I mention any names, but he, he writes this note here about him. He says, this is my one. And then I get one from my wife yesterday. My wife texts me. I'm, and it was so sweet. I think she's here. By the way, she's always here. And she does greeting, and, 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 and then she comes in about 11.30. No, she does, really. She, Ross works her hard. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm in an all-day race, reconciliation, diversity, conversation, courageous talks for two full days as your pastor. And the mayor asked me to do this. And there's responsibilities that come with being the pastor of Great Hills Baptist Church that I didn't really realize eight years ago. <laughs> that you're just expected to do certain things in the city. And I'm like, okay, I pull myself out of this introversion and let's, let's do this thing. And so I'm for two full days. I'm in a room and it's intense. And it's about racial reconciliation and racism in our country still today and ways that we can combat that. And we're in there with all, all kinds of people. There's 90 people. And I know Tim Hawks was in there with me, bless him. And Deshard Freeman, my African-American pastor brother, we were in there in this room. And for two days, I mean, I am spent. And, I, and I, I got to do a wedding last night and had a wedding with a sweet, beautiful couple in our church. Went downtown and, and married them and then went out uh, and had dinner afterward. And I get this text in the midst of this day. And my wife, she texts me and she goes, I found my wedding dress for Layton's wedding. Woo-hoo! She's so happy. She's so happy. She says, You're, you are broke now, Danny, but I have found my dress. And I found my shoes. Ladies, can I get an amen on that one? Amen. So, guys, I know we're like, what? What's the big deal? She found her dress and she found her shoes. Mama's happy, right? And she goes, oh, and I talked to three different ladies. And I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them came to church. I had such great conversations when those, those were my ones. And I'm just like, man, man, I'm serious, church. You want to bless me? You send me those, those texts. You send me those emails. You send me those uh, Facebook posts. And it just it gives me so much joy because it, it tells me a couple things. It tells me that, that you're listening. You're really not sleeping. And that you, you're very sensitive because you want to be after your one. Jesus was all about the one, right? He said, I'll leave the 99. And I'll run the risk of offending all of you. Because I got to go after this. I got to go after this one. Y'all are going to heaven. She's going to hell. So pardon me. I got to go get her. You with me? That's why we're here. That's why Jesus left us on earth. You ever thought about that? You got saved and Jesus didn't zap you and take you to heaven. Shazam, boom, it's over. Come to heaven. No, he's got work for us to do as individuals. He's got work for us to do as a church. And we got to do everything in our power to reach the one. The one. So I want to ask you as we wrap it up. You said, you said that five minutes ago. I know I told a little fib. Sorry. But here it is. I really want you to, to focus in with me. Peter was Jesus one. Who is your one? Who is she? Who is he this week? And I'm praying. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Just pray. Let's pray together. We're going to have our invitation. And who is, who is she? Lord, it may be the person at the gym this very week.
Lord, it may be a colleague at the doctor's office that he has seen many, many times. It may be one of our church members is out working on a house and doing some construction or doing some plumbing, doing some work. And the one is the homeowner. Students, I know it's break. Amen. I'm happy for you. When you wake up at noon and you get your day going and you go swimming or you go to work or whatever, who is she? Who is he that you can just encourage? Um, you can pray for him. You can say, hey, I just want to invite you to my church. God's doing a sweet work at Great Hills. Would you come? Would you be my guest? And, and here's what I want you to do. Heads are bows and eyes are closed. Here's, let me know about it. Let our staff know because this encourages us so much. Are you the one? Are you the one? You may be a Peter in the making. You may be very rough around the edges right now. But God has his eyes on you and God's calling you. And God is telling you, ma'am, listen, listen carefully. God's telling you, you are mine. And I'm taking you just as you are. Yeah, Lord, but, but no, no, I know all that. But I'm taking you. And I'm going to make you a trophy of my grace. All I want you to do is be willing, be submissive. And, and just, sir, are you listening? Be willing, be submissive. And say, Jesus, here I am. And I want to encourage you with this, church, as I'm praying for you, as I'm talking to you. It's amazing what God's going to do. It's amazing what God can do to a soul that is completely yielded to him. So, Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the life of Peter. Lord, thank you for putting there in the Bible his, his mistakes, because I relate to that. Thank you, Lord, for putting in his, his big moments, Lord, his you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And thank you for putting Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration when he didn't know what to say, and he shouldn't have said anything. And he's like, oh, let's, let's build a tabernacle for you, Jesus, just like Moses. No. You're greater than Moses. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with Peter. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with me. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, we haven't arrived, but we're pursuing you. We want to be more like you. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this prayer and you're thinking, this is too good to be true. You mean God would take me and my sin like I am? And God will forgive me and God will work in me? Yes, friend, yes. A million times, yes. Well, what do I need to do? What, what should I do in order to connect with God? Believe. Just believe and come. Come just as you are, trusting in God, trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection, turning away from your sin, turning from the life that you know, and yielding your life to him. Would you do that today? I encourage you. That could be your very first step. Others of you, man, you're there, and you're ready for the next step, and you're ready to... You're ready to walk into all that God has for you, whether it's getting involved here at Great Hills or whether it's taking on a new ministry or whether it's joining the church or, what, or going on a mission trip. Whatever it is, you're ready. And I just want to say, you come. And man, we're excited for you, what God's going to do with you and how he's going to use you. Lord, thank you for our time of invitation. We give it to you. Pray, Lord, there'll be a sweet times of, of prayer and confession. Be a sweet moment here for many. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. God bless you. 
Terry's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing. That's what we do in our Baptist tradition. We sing and, and we pray and we have people. we got men and women up here at the front who would love to pray with you and encourage you. So I invite you to come. Even now, would you come? God bless you.